Well, I want to welcome again everybody here. I want to welcome those of you that are here at our Bellingham campus, those of you who are watching at our Ferndale campus, and those who are watching online as well. We're really glad that you're here. As we begin week three of a series that we've just simply called Relationships Alone Together. I got an email a couple of weeks back informing me that terrorists had purchased large numbers of UPS uniforms and that I should be very careful and suspicious of people who pulled up in front of my house in large brown panel trucks. I went home the night I got that email about five o'clock and as I'm getting ready to pull into my driveway, guess what pulls up in front of my house? A UPS truck. Now, I was somewhat relieved in an instant because the guy who got out of the, uh, of the UPS truck, I actually knew. He's one of the Hanson boys, and he's got his little brown uniform on, you know, and he starts walking up to my house, and I'm thinking to myself, he looks like a Hanson boy because I've seen him before. I actually know him, but is he really <laughs> a UPS driver? He put a box on my front doorstep. I let him leave, and then I went and got the box. It said it was from Macy's. But was it really for Macy's? I got all kind of suspicious, just a little bit, just a tiny little bit, because I got this thing in the email. Now, here's the deal with the email. It was a complete hoax. Somebody created an urban legend, an urban myth, and they publicized it, and thousands of people forwarded it to all of their best friends saying, you need to watch out for the UPS guys. I bet it drove the UPS drivers nuts for weeks, right? Because everybody's thinking that they're a terrorist. Here was the problem. It was a myth. It wasn't true. You shouldn't have based your life on it because it was absolute, an absolute fallacy. It was a myth. This weekend, we're going to dive straight in, and I'm going to expose five modern myths of modern relationships that are simply not true. Some of us believe that they're true. Others of us won't believe that they're true. But people believe some of these things I'm going to talk about are true. And then what I want to do is just shine the light of God on top of the myth so we don't end up investing ourselves in a bunch of stuff that's just simply not true. All right? So take a deep breath. Here we go. Modern myth relationship number one. Being single is bad. Why did it get so quiet? Being single is bad. Some people look at singleness like it's a condition to be fixed. Like it's the wrong way to live, that somehow it's a situation that you have to escape. Well, if that's true, why is the Apostle Paul telling people in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, that they should be like him and stay single if they can? If you don't believe me, it's in the Bible. You can read it for yourself. Basically, you read the chapter, and this is what Paul says. Okay, if you have to get married, go ahead. But if you can handle being single, stick with it. Because it's not a bad thing, it's a very, very good thing. So get the picture from Scripture. Getting married, that's great. Being single, that's good too. So let me speak on behalf of my single friends for a second. Here's something you should know. Jesus was single, and so if you're a married friend, leave your single friend alone and quit telling them that their social status is like a sickness that needs to be cured by getting hitched, okay? Just because marriage worked for you doesn't mean it's for everybody. So mind your own business and talk to Jesus about it. Okay, all right? Now stick with me because here comes the truth of it. Being single is bad when you use that season for experimenting and excuses. All right? Let's be honest. Most of us who are a little older would have to admit that we used our singleness for experimenting and then excusing those experiments. We experimented socially, physically, sexually, emotionally, and then when the guilt and the shame caught up with us, we made this huge list of excuses so that we could sleep at night. 
The Bible boldly speaks against experimentation and excuses with these words. Okay, 2 Timothy 2 says this. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Let me explain to you what flee means. Flee means this. Ah! I freaked out the camera guy. That's what flee means. Flee means to run away from, not run headlong into. That's what it means. It means you see it, you know what it is, and you beat a path 180 degrees in the opposite direction as fast as you can go. The Bible says flee the evil desires of youth. It means this. Flee the evil desires of a younger way of thinking that says this. I need to know if it's bad, and the only way I can tell it's bad is if I try it. Okay, just think about that for a second, okay? Come on, doofus. I mean... I don't need to get bit by a rattlesnake to know it's not good for me, right? That doesn't take a rocket science to put it. That's the kind of thinking that's there. It says this, flee the mindset that says, I can do this for now, and I'll reserve my changes for later in life when I'm a little older. You know what that produces? A list of regrets that you will carry with you relationally for the rest of your life. The Bible says flee the evil stuff and use your singleness to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Here's an extension of the truth that we talked about. Being single is actually amazing when you use that season to develop spiritual devotion and dependence. My single brothers and sisters, I don't care if you're younger single, older single, listen to this because I believe this is what Jesus is wanting us to say. Use this season of singleness or a lifetime of singleness to press into Jesus. Jesus is the perfect father, the perfect spouse, the perfect relationship, and pouring yourself in that direction will help you develop godly character that's going to keep you out of other relational train wrecks. The Bible says this in 1 Kings 8, and may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. Nothing wrong with being single. It's something to be celebrated. Just make sure you use it in the right direction. If you look back quickly at the end of the Second Timothy passage that we read, it finishes with these words. It says, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Along with those. The Bible makes an assumption that we're supposed to do this together which flies in the face of the second myth, which is this. I can do this on my own. I can do this on my own. I don't need anybody. I don't need anyone to input into my relational world. I don't need people. Now, that's not true because in week number one, we showed from Scripture that God created us out of relationship and for relationship. Sociologists have actually attached a little phrase to our modern way of doing relationships. The modern way of doing relationships is to have hundreds of virtual friends that you communicate with through a computer medium. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as it's used in a godly direction. But here's the phrase they're using. We're doing relationships alone together. We're sitting alone at home, communicating with thousands of other people, and essentially creating an isolation within relationships, which doesn't go together. 
In a world of Facebook, Twitter, online dating services, social networking, none of which are bad, we have the benefit of instant communication within our relationships. But here's the curse that comes with it. We're trying to do it all by ourselves. We need to understand this. One of the devil's most devastating tools that he uses is isolation. If I can get you alone, if I can make you believe you are absolutely alone and that nobody ever really knows the real you, he's got us. So the goal for all of us is to be doing this together. So here comes the truth off the second myth. Loving biblical community is a protective covering for your relationships. Having other godly relationships is going to keep you moving in the right direction. I've got a group of guys in my world who ask me tough questions about my faith, my walk, being above reproach, and they ask me about my marriage and the way I'm parenting my kids as well. They'll get in my face if I start making bad choices. They push me to keep my relationship with Jesus first. And I know I'm headed in a wrong direction when I start avoiding those guys. When I start avoiding those guys because I know they're going to ask me the hard things, I'm on the wrong track relationally. The Bible speaks of these relationships in the book of Hebrews when it says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay? Let me crawl up on my soapbox here for just a couple of moments. The Bible says that we're supposed to use our relationships and that the purpose of our relationships is to push each other towards love and good deeds, not towards pain and bad choices. People who are making bad choices, you've probably noticed something about them. They like to run to another group of people who've made the same bad choice so they can justify their position. Misery loves company. So they run to people who've had the exact same kind of pain and not dealt with it well so that they can do whatever they want to as they're walking through it. The Bible also says bad company corrupts good morals, which means this. If you're making bad choices, you should not run to somebody who's made the same bad choices and never course corrected. You're supposed to run to somebody who loves you enough to tell you the truth. I'm kind of amazed because I watch Facebook streams And I see people who I know are making bad choices. And I see other godly people typing in stuff like this. Go for it. You get on with your bad self. You just do. You go, girl. Can I just tell you something straight out? If you love somebody, you will not cheer their sin. I got one or two amens from somebody. If you really love somebody, you're not going to stand passively by and let them walk on a path to destruction. The goal of your godly relationship is to stand up in front of them and go, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? This is wrong. I'm not going to cheer you. I don't care if you don't like me or not. You can unfriend me if you want to. I'm not going to stand here and let you just go in that direction if i got anything to say about it. I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you, God's not cool with this direction in your life right now. That's somebody. There we go. One or two. The Bible says that if we really, really, really love someone, that we will be willing to admonish them if need be. 
All right? Can you handle another myth? Here it comes. Being in a relationship with another human being will complete you. <laughs> okay, that doesn't come from a Bible. It comes from a movie starring Tom Cruise, okay? <laughs> you complete me. You had me at hello. Whatever, okay? That is not real life. I'll just say it. Another broken human being cannot fix the brokenness in you. I mean, think about it. One sinner plus one sinner equals more sin, all right? To the daters in the room who think you can fix the character defects in your significant other, I'm just going to tell you, save yourself the time. It can't be done. It's not possible. To the almost married and the already married people in the room, I'm going to say it. Your spouse cannot complete you. They will complicate you. Amen? They will complicate you. So here's the truth, right? Don't elbow anybody. This is not cool, all right? Your spouse will complicate you. Only Jesus can complete you. All right, now, I'm just warning you. If you're here with somebody and they just leaned over and put their arm around your shoulder and said, don't listen to him, baby. You absolutely know that we complete each other. Okay, two things. To the person who said that, get a life, okay? And to the other person, run! All right? Now! We'll pay for your counseling, okay? All right, so. This is what Scripture says. It says, this comes right out of Ephesians 3. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of your boyfriend. Your girlfriend. Your parent. Your spouse. Your fiancé. It's not what it says. It says how wide, long, and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. If you want to be filled and completed in your soul, build a loving, vibrant relationship with the Most High God and ask Him to do deep relational work deep inside of your heart. There was a time when I thought Laurel could complete me. I mean, I just thought if, if she was in my life, it would be perfect. And the birds would sing, and the sun would shine. Did everybody enjoy summer last week? That's all you get, okay? <laughs> You're done, all right? I mean, I thought if I just had Laurel in my life, there would be a James Blunt soundtrack playing underneath of us everywhere we went all of the time. I was wrong. I was wrong. Laurel loves me, and I'm amazed by it. She holds me. Sometimes she lights a fire under me, but she knows something to be true. Only Jesus can complete me. And when we're completed or in the work of being completed by Christ, we just do relationships better. Here's the next myth. Marriage is an archaic institution heading towards extinction. If we were to be honest, my heart breaks over what marriage has become in our modern world. Time Magazine ran, ran a cover story. Uh, it's been quite a while ago with this question. Who needs marriage? It's a good question. 
I mean, who would really want to be a part of something that appears to be so broken, that appears to cause a lot of pain in a lot of people's lives? And the article went on to point out a very interesting statistic. It said 44% of young people under the age of 30 believe that marriage is headed for extinction. That was the whole first part of the article. Almost 50% of young people under 30 believe that marriage is archaic, old, dusty. It's just not going to work. It's just not working anymore. Here was the second fact that I thought was interesting. Even though 44% said they thought Merrick was an archaic institution, 95% of them said they'd like to get married someday if they could just find the right person. So it looks like it's broken, but if I could find the right person, sign me up. The thought of marriage freaks them out, but they still want to have somebody to have and to hold from this day forward. When I got married, I wore a very unstylish white tuxedo. I also made a vow to this beautiful girl that went something like this. Do you grant, take Laurel to be your lawfully wedded wife and to live together in this secular experiment of marriage? Will you love her when you feel like it, get comfort from her when you need it, honor her when she deserves it, and cherish her as long as she meets all of your expectations? Will you stay around as long as you're rich, not poor, healthy, not sick, as long as it's good, but never bad. And will you forsake all others as long as she can fit into those size four jeans and make you happy? Not even close. No, it was more like this. Will you grant take Laurel to be your wedded wife in view of God's holy covenant? Will you love her and keep her? For richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, as long as you both shall live, will you have her and hold her and be forever faithful? Okay, just for the record, I still do. Just so we're clear, all right? I love being married, not because it's an archaic institution, but because of the truth. Marriage is a divine institution that God continues to bless. He conceived it from the beginning when he wrote this in Genesis 2, verse 24. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Let me just lay it out for you as best I can, already understanding. None of us are going to be able to figure it out. It's divine mathematics. One plus one equals one. One, where it's impossible to tell where one of them begins and the other one ends. One, where, where if it's ripped apart, it's going to do unbelievable damage to both sides. It's just one. But let's be real for everybody that's, that's here and maybe overly romanticize the idea of what marriage is. I'm just going to set it straight. Marriage is not easy. It's hard. It's hard and easy in the same sentence. It's tough and it's smooth. It's painful and wonderful. It's the hardest work you'll ever do and the most rewarding. Being married to my wife has been the most wonderful expression of God's grace that I know. And I'm thankful because I'll tell you something. It is not easy being married to me. 
It's not. I am living proof that marriage does not exist to make you happy. It exists to make you holy. That's why my wife is so exceptional. There's certain things inside of me that bring out sometimes the worst in both of us. And it's unbelievably difficult. We don't walk around because I'm a pastor with our relationship sprayed with Teflon so nothing sticks. We've had moments in the last 22, almost 23 years that have been heartbreaking and difficult. But it's in those moments when we find the beauty of that relationship. Should God decide that that's what's for you or not? Laurel's my friend, my protector, my conscience, my voice of reason. And she's my picture of how God treats people. Because to me, she's just the epitome of grace. Let me just say it once and for all. And this is pretty bold, but I'll say it anyway. When it comes to marriage, your opinion on the matter doesn't matter. Because God has not rescinded his ideal of a man and a woman together for a lifetime. It was his idea, is his idea, and will continue to be his idea until he changes it, and I don't see that coming anywhere. Can I get an amen from somebody? Here's the next one. One more myth. If it doesn't work out, I can always get out. All right. Let me set the record straight on divorce. And believe me, I understand how diverse my audience is today. So let me tread carefully but truthfully, okay? The Bible says God hates divorce. Not divorced people. Are we clear? God hates the pain that shreds people when they try and divide one. God hates the damage it does to kids and families that are split down the middle. God loves everyone involved, and he can forgive and restore, but his heart burns against broken covenants because of the pain that it causes people. The Bible says there are some situations where divorce is permissible. Adultery, abuse, abandonment. The Bible actually says there's an understanding there. Okay, but I want to make us understand something when it comes to those exceptions. Make sure that you never make the exception the rule. Now, I'm not talking about abuse and abandonment, okay? If adultery has happened in your relationship, and there is enough grace and forgiveness and mercy to flood, let it flood. Let it flood. Nobody says you have to automatically pull that ripcord. My heart breaks because I see a lot of people looking at it one way when God sees it in another. But I'm also going to say this. This is not a message about divorce. It, it, it's not a hang in there pep talk, but I want to say this clearly. If you approach marriage or living in a marriage with a mindset that you can bring a ripcord with you into that relationship that you're going to pull when something doesn't go your way, I'll tell you, you are doomed from the start. Here's the truth. Your marriage will suffer if you go into a commitment with an escape clause. So some of you are like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you asking here, Grant? Let me tell you what I'm asking. 
I'm not asking you to do anything other than what God asks, which is to approach this union, not with weak-kneed approach of human promises, but with a powerful understanding of how seriously God takes the covenant that you've made or are planning on making. Guys, let me shoot straight. Does this sound weak-kneed to you? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Gentlemen, God is asking you to die. To die to yourself. To die to your selfishness. To to die to, to all the things inside of you that say, but I've got rights. And to lay that down and to pick up your responsibility to love your wife to the point of dying. Does that sound weak to you? It doesn't to me. That sounds scary. As a guy, it's like, that's like God coming and saying, brace yourself like a man. I'll speak to you that way. Man up and die for her. If I scared you, gentlemen, good. Some of us could use some straight talk when it comes to our lax idea of responsibilities and rights. Now, ladies, before you get too comfortable, here it comes. I promise I won't shout, okay? <laughs> Ephesians 5, 32, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, check it out. It does not say should respect her husband. It says must. And ladies, if your first thought was, well... If he would just be respectable, then I'd be able to respect him. You may want to go back to week number one and review the terms love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I want to encourage you with something today about the topic of divorce in the church. Many of you have been told a lie for a really, really long time. How many of you have ever heard this before? The divorce rate in the church is just as high as it is in the world, or something close to that, all over the place. Let me just set the record straight. That's a bold-faced lie. There is absolutely no truth to that statement in any way, shape, or form. In fact, the success of marriages that pray together, attend church together, and share a spiritual walk is almost, and I picked the lowest number from all of the articles and research that I did, is almost 150% higher than the cultural norm. Here was the problem. A group of researchers walked into churches and asked for a head count. How many of you have been divorced? Hands went up, and they divided the number in half, and they made a deduction. The problem was the deduction was wrong. In fact... I actually love the fact that so many hands went up, and let me tell you why. The church is a group of believers who are here for people who are hurting and walking through tough stuff. And shouldn't we as the family of God be ecstatic that when people are hurting and living through a relational nightmare, that they would run to a church where we hope and pray they would find love, acceptance, and forgiveness. So let me say it again. If you have the pain of divorce in your past, hear this loud and clear. God loves you. We love you. And we want you to be here as God heals those relational wounds and gathers up the broken pieces of your soul. We're almost out of time, but I'm going to stick number six in here because it just needs to be said. Okay? It's not in your outline, so you're going to need to grab a pen and write this one in. Here's the last myth. 
God can't fix my broken relationships. God may be able to fix that guy's marriage, but he can't fix mine. God might be able to fix the relationship between that son and daughter, but not with my kids. That's simply not true. The Bible says that Jesus is a restorer. That he rebuilds walls and broken relationships. That he's a rebuilder. And that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ask or even imagine. Mom and dad, I know you're tired of praying your prodigal kid home. Don't stop. Jesus won't. And all over this church are people who would testify, we just about gave up, and then God brought them home. If you're hanging by a thread in your relationship, whether it's a marriage relationship, or, or maybe you're engaged and you just don't know if it's going together and you don't know if God's going to work, God says this, if you will bring it to me, I will do the healing. That's the point of this entire, entire series. It's not about fixing ourselves. It's about bringing ourselves to Jesus and allowing him to heal the broken places in our heart. There's some dating couples that are here, and the bottom line is, you stepped over a physical line that you should have stayed behind. You stepped over a long, long time ago, and the law of diminishing returns just keeps hitting you, and you wonder whether or not you can actually get the blessing of God because you've messed up. Let me tell you something. Jesus is so powerful and so pure, he can claim any territory the enemy has stolen from you. And if you make a covenant today to live pure and right in God's eyes, on that blessed day, Almighty God will place his hand over top of the two of your hands while you make your vows, and he will make you one flesh just like he promised. Pure, white, and radiant. Because he's just that. We have covered a lot of territory. So whether you're here and you're married and happy or married and struggling, whether you're divorced, dating, not dating, single, Facebooking, not Facebooking, Mac or PC, it doesn't matter. God is the God of all of our relationships. And the question is really this. Are we going to live with the world's lies and by the myths? Or are we going to hear what the Holy Word of God says as we ask Him to reinvent, reinvigorate, and recreate the beautiful relational heart that He's placed in every single one of His children? You get to pick. Lies or truth? I'll take truth. Let's pray together right now. Father God, I thank you for each person in this room and the story that they bring with them. Father, I pray 
for college or high school students who are here and, and wish their parents would fall in love with the same Jesus that they know. And I pray they would never give up praying for their mom or dad. Father, I pray for, for the lady who comes alone because her husband thinks a Mariner's game is more important than worshiping God. And I pray that you'd give her grace for this moment right now. Lord, I pray for the single dad who comes by himself because his wife wants nothing to do with the God that he loves. And I pray grace over him as well. Father, I pray for those who've walked through the pain of divorce. And I pray that they would know how deeply they are loved and how much healing is available to them. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray for my single brothers and sisters. And I pray that they would see their life as an amazing opportunity to be soul-minded and soul-focused on Jesus himself. Pray for marriages that are struggling. Father God, would you bring them hope today? And I give you praise for marriages that are healthy, God. Thank you that you are the reason for that health. So Father, whatever relational world we find ourselves in, would you come and press us deeper into yourself as we give ourselves the difficult and complicated world of relationships. In Jesus' name we pray.